Welcome to episode 169 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers and find out how they got into the industry. Uh, and if you've not checked out our back catalogue, please do that because there'll be a guest, I'm sure, that you're interested in, whether it's an author, a journalist, a screenwriter, a comic writer, a video game writer. We've spoken to the whole gamut don't think there's from a run the gamut i don't of, think there is writers. a single genre or media left we haven't spoken to even done radio yeah we've done radio i'm trying to think if there is anything not nothing immediately jumps to mind no. but people can get in touch if there is a have there like any omission. any erotica i'm sure did we, did we chat no we erotica? have we had one guest that had written erotica before they then transitioned to more mainstream fiction i feel that was sticking my mind my dirty mind i remember <laughs> that <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll look out the episode. If you could, you that'd be great. Right? That I know, just yeah. just let let just let me know what books have written. That's that's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have a, a great guest this week that actually um, crosses over between two of those genres. Not erotic. Oh, oh I was just going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this week we're chatting with uh, Fleur Davith, who is a Welsh author uh, who's written um, and screenwriter and screenwriter, I should say, of course. And she's written books, uh, Welsh books, which is then translated into English translations herself. She's written Welsh screenplays. She's won BAFTA, a Welsh BAFTA for her work. And we kind of chatted to her about writing for a kind of small pocket of the UK, of that language, uh, the Welsh Welsh language. And then how does that translate to success or notoriety across the rest of, of the UK? Yeah, I, I'm not sure notoriety is that, it's not right. is that, is that, is that always a bad thing, it's notoriety? Like, yeah, I feel so, yeah. Oh, hang on, they wrote, they wrote in Welsh. They're blacklisted. Uh, but no, she does talk about the, the, the difficulties that she has, despite having, obviously, this, this great success in Wales and recognised success in the form of awards, etc., that doesn't seem to translate when, when she moves into the English-speaking parts of the UK, which mm-hmm. is bizarre frankly um but uh yeah it's, it's a really interesting chat we have with her and talk about the differences obviously between writing for the screen and writing books and adapting her own work so we will get straight into it uh, after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. 
did you always want to be a writer? I think so. I was always inventing stories and kind of playing imaginatively, kind of by myself, imagining all sorts of kind of adventures. And then I would start writing these down from quite an early age. Mm -hmm. So I think it was always it was always there in the background. It was always there as a possibility. And my mother is a poet as well, Mena Elvin. So I grew up in a house where, you know, poetry was was kind of important. There were books everywhere. And me and my brother used to go to like poetry launches and stuff. So it seemed like it was kind of like a, a normal thing to be doing. Um, but I don't think I ever actually considered making it my main profession because the, the experience I had was my mother always had other jobs. And yeah. so although I always planned on becoming a writer or writing in some form, I never thought I'd be a full-time writer, which is what I am now, but it's taken me quite a few years to kind of finally make that leap. Mm-hmm. And and so we'll get to that leap uh, soon. But I mean, when you were, when did you first sort of start seriously thinking, I'm going to try and, and, and make some money out of writing? Well, in Wales, we have uh, a lot of kind of writing competitions, especially in the Welsh language. So we have this tradition of the Eisteddfod, for people who don't know about it. It's a, a large sort of cultural festival that we hold every year in Wales. There's a youth festival, uh, which happens around May time. And then there's the, the big festival that happens in August. And they have so many different writing competitions. And you um, you get to enter under a pseudonym which is great uh, because you have that anonymity and you can send it in. And if you don't win, you still get an adjudication and be able to read criticism of your work. But it's kind of quite a safe way of competing, if you like. And so I I started um, trying some of those competitions at local uh, East Edwards as well and started um, having a bit of success, making, you know, maybe fiver at a time. I thought (laughs) there is money to be had here somewhere. Um, and I was really lucky at the age of 21, I won the main sort of literature medal prize at the Earth Eisteddfod. And that meant that then my work was published as a result of the competition on, on the day of the ceremony. Um, and that was the first time I'd kind of seen a book of mine in print. And I was only 21 at the time, which is, you know, really fantastic uh, experience at that age that you that you get that you know that you get that book in your hand and think yeah. hey there's a possibility of of doing this professionally because mm-hmm. you know we're picking it up and buying it and reading it um but yeah i think that's what we have that's quite unique within welsh language culture is that there is that nurturing of young talent you know and uh, you are given a platform which is fantastic and not all i guess young writers have that mm-hmm. definitely and obviously you know the majority of your writing looking back on your whole on your whole kind of body of work, I suppose, is in Welsh. And and, and and I wondered, as a Welsh writer writing in Welsh, does that make it easier or harder to break into the writing industry? Um, in terms of the, what do you mean, in terms of the industry in Wales or just generally? Well, I suppose, in, I, suppose in, I guess, outside Wales, I suppose, in terms of, of, of kind of being a known name or, 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 or yeah, is being... It, it, in the industry outside of Wales, yeah, is it is it, is it, is it easier to is it easier to, you know, you have like you've said, you've got that support in Wales for young yeah, writers and stuff. Yeah. So, it, it, is it easier to sort of have that path in Welsh writing in Wales? But then, how difficult is it from to transition from that into a sort of wider uh, audience? It's a really good question because. You know, you'd 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 think that because you know we have that kind of system in Wales where you do get to be writing and publishing stuff from quite a young age, and then mm-hmm. you have that experience maybe that people in other cultures don't have. But it's still equally difficult, I think, to break into kind of mainstream sort of you know British kind of literary scene yeah. because again, it's just you know, because Welsh culture is still marginalised and you're still seen as pretty invisible when it comes to the kind of London-centric kind of literary scenes. Um, And I think it's, you know, what I found most frustrating, I think, in terms of my screenwriting is that um, I've been been a screenwriter for about kind of almost coming up to 10 years now. Um, And I've had sort of, you know, created my own shows. I've written about 
50 hours of primetime drama for S4C, the Welsh language broadcaster. Mm-hmm. You know, and those shows have done relatively well. You know, they've been nominated for BAFTA Cymru Awards, et cetera, et cetera. But still, when you go to London and <laughs> have meetings with producers there, it's almost like none of that counts, even yeah. though you've had the experience. Yeah been there kind of on the ground doing it you've been sort of producing you've been writing and you've had that sort of wealth of experience that maybe other writers haven't had because it's it's tougher to get a commission I guess in in English isn't it with all the major broadcasters but um it's still like starting from scratch I would say so it's it's kind of frustrating, but it but it just is what it is. It's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that's that's hugely frustrating. Just just because it's been in a different language, you've got exactly. all the experience. It's been in a different that, language, yeah. and you know they can watch it with subtitles, and it's been sold internationally. Yeah. So it's been sold, you know, I've had drama sold to places like Japan and you know Spain, and it's been in BritBox and American Canada, but somehow, like still within sort of that British mold, it doesn't doesn't really. Count. I mean, is that, is that the same when it comes to like? writers who have written kind of Scandi dramas or something or is you know because or because they seem to have have reached a point where they're kind of well known outside the country that, that they're made in this kind of movement behind them and stuff but as is, is, is welsh dramas writing is it still to reach that point you think it's it's interesting isn't it someone like hans Ro- hans rosenfelder wrote the bridge like yeah to, exactly like, crossed over into the british mainstream yeah drama writing i'd, I'd, I'd have to talk to him to work out how hard he found it to make that <laughs> yeah. breakthrough. It'd be interesting. But I think it's probably, I don't know, make an assumption, but is it easier in some ways because it's not within British culture? So I think there I is a that, feeling yeah. of like a slightly uncomfortable, jarring sense that it is the country next door with a completely different culture and therefore it's not, it doesn't sit comfortably in transferring over to kind of you know the the mainstream culture. yeah it's, it's yeah. not as it's not as sort of exotic if you like yes. as, yeah. as yeah exactly what yeah. you say yeah. as, as a yeah. quote real foreign country or something like that you know yeah. I, I, that's probably got something to do with it is it's a sort of attitude that, that clearly yeah, needs to change is, i think it is the same age-old sort of colonial attitude still mm. there at work somewhere but you know it's 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 just been, I guess, as equally difficult for me as what I'm saying as any other writer just kind of starting out. Mm, so, yeah. um, but it's you know, but it's but it's still I've got that experience, and so I guess when I get into you know when I get to write the novel or get the publisher or get the script commission or whatever with a bigger broadcaster, I'm hopefully I hit the ground running because I've got that that experience behind me. Um, yeah. 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 And and so, I mean, as you said, when you were 21, you got the book in your hand, but then uh, you have also moved into into screenwriting as well. I mean, was that was that something that you always wanted to do or, or how did that come about? Yeah, my path into screenwriting has not been completely straightforward. I think that as a university student, as an undergrad, I... I was really interested in film and so I took a lot of um, film modules but then I decided to concentrate on my English Lit degree mm-hmm. and then um, when I was sort of early 20s there were a few kind of you know short film script competitions around and I ended up making a short film when I was about 20, 22, 23 and that was really great experience of, of of a production it was with the Welsh College of Music and Drama and so it's all part of their assessment as students but the film also got to go to festivals and um and so following on from that I started kind of writing to places where I thought there might be opportunities for screenwriters and ended up working for the Welsh language soap opera for a bit um Hubblecum, it's called People of the Valley uh, it sounds very Welsh doesn't it um <laughs> and I wrote a couple, I'm trying to remember how many episodes I wrote, probably only about 10 or 15. Um, and I just felt like I, I learned a lot doing it, but I felt like the soap structure wasn't wasn't quite for me. Um, and so I decided to, to, to give up on screenwriting, essentially. I was sort of like, oh, well, I've tried it. I'm not sure it's for me. And then it was around sort of 10 years later, um, I happened to be off uh, work from the university with uh my first daughter was on maternity leave and I just had this opportunity to meet with a production company and pitch an idea to them and it happened because I was on maternity leave I just had a little bit of time 
you know, when the baby did actually sleep. My first baby did sleep, which was brilliant. The second one didn't, but the first one did. So I did start pitching kind of a couple of mad ideas. And bef- but by the time I'd gone back to work, I got the commission and it was an eight part drama and I'd never done it before. And I was absolutely terrified and didn't know what I was doing. Um, but somehow got through it. Um, and yeah. That that first drama series is called Parch, um, which means kind of reverend, but it also means respect. It was about a female vicar who sort of falls in love with an undertaker and their kind of story in their community. Um, and yeah, that was the that that was the point at which I realised actually that I really really wanted to do this. And so from that point onwards, I've written several series for for the same company uh, over a period of sort of seven or eight years. Um, which then, you know, resulted in me giving up my uh, university post completely. But it wasn't it wasn't part of the plan ever. It was just sometimes I think, you know, things happen at, at the right time. There's just yeah, that yeah. Point of yeah. kind of luck that, you know, I was off. I was on maternity. I was not thinking about university work. I could go in, to these meetings and then it happened from there. And so it's um, it was kind of my lucky break, really. Do you think if for for folk listening who are kind of wanting to break into the screenwriting world, do you, would you recommend going about it in much the same way? You know, actually trying to create your own show or content that you're writing and you make it, and you kind of you know kind of bypass all the hoops and just go straight to the to the, the final product and you have something to show. Well, I think it's um, it's always useful. I think trying to break into the industry to have this really great spec script that you can mm. send around companies and um it's sort of taken me a while to actually have a proper one of those in english because i was so busy working you know on on my own series in wales so i i didn't actually have a spec script for a while so it was you know it was kind of like oh you can you can watch her show with subtitles oh but yeah you know, they were like but we want an original script and so um what i found was once i actually got the time to to write a spec script and send it out that's resulted in in a lot more interest and a lot more meetings and okay. forming new relationships with producers and companies and so I think that that's you know for someone who really wants to do it um that that is the best way of of getting those those meetings rather than maybe having an outline like having an outline is is good you know it starts a conversation mm-hmm. but I think the script is where you can really show the company what you can do and yeah. that's where they really kind of seem to wake up and take interest um so it just takes carving out a bit of time to be able to write that thing that you really really want to write and and sending that to places okay. and and we've spoken to screenwriters before and you know, one of the key differences between screenwriting and novel writing seems to be that you you sort of have to accept that you work on stories that, you know, you might have meetings, people will be enthusiastic or whatever, but then they end up not going anywhere. Um, yeah. And, and <laughs> you just have to kind of accept that as a writer. Whereas I suppose with a book, uh, with a novel, you know, if what at least once you're once you're in once you're published and stuff like that if if you're determined to have that novel published then there is a way normally that you will get it published eventually um so it's you have to almost have a different mindset i think when it when it comes to these different types of projects is that yeah definitely you know i've i've had scripts um you know commissioned as a sort of pilot episodes that i worked on for a whole year with a broadcaster and everyone making the right noises about it, you know, seemingly loving it right until the last moment <laughs> when they, um, you know, when they say, oh, something a little bit similar to this. And um, if you've written like a thriller, they're like, oh, is there, is there a version of this where nobody dies? <laughs> like, oh, not really, you know. Uh, so it's it, you can get to that kind of point then that you just letting go of that project is pretty painful. Um and it is, you're right, you have to have that mindset, I guess, when you're writing these pilot apps, if you get script commission, that you know that actually you might not be able to see this project through. And there's very little that you can do about it if if a company doesn't come on board. It's not like you could just write the rest and just, well, you could if you wanted to, but with no money to write the rest or yeah. you can't just go perform it on the street or maybe some people do but i've i've certainly just had to accept that okay that's the 
the finish line for that project and maybe the script will be useful for sending to people still but it won't actually get made um i think with a book it is so different isn't it because usually no one wants to see your book until the whole thing is done yeah, yeah. that's kind of equally frustrating because when i went back to writing novels after a long time in screenwriting I found the process of just keeping going without anybody kind of ringing me to ask me like what I'm doing next in this scene or, you know, me checking with a producer that, oh, you can I do this? Can I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, was actually quite, it was, it was quite daunting really to realize that it was, it was my kind of journey to go on in whichever way I pleased. Um, as liberating as it sometimes is, you know, it's also kind of really much harder without mm. a, a voice to to consult with um but yeah that it, you take ownership of that project then and you know hopefully it will get published in some shape or form and maybe not in the form that you've anticipated maybe there's more work to do on it or yeah you know an editor will want extra chapters or you to cut bits of it but essentially you know you have hope that it is this it's this final thing even if it you know, even if it doesn't end up being published by anybody, you will still have it. You'll keep it in your drawer. Your family will still be able to read it. You know, it's still there as a product. Yeah. Whereas, you know, often so many screenwriting projects are just sort of half written. They don't even yeah. get off the ground. They don't get the opportunity to blossom, which is a shame. I'm sure there are so many fantastic projects out there that just didn't get their chance to, you know, to fly. And it's it's so there are so many different factors why that happens and it's not always down to the writing either mm. that's what's frustrating sometimes yeah, totally and i mean as you touched on there the kind of approach as a as a writer to writing a book or a script is is very is very different and and mainly because you're kind of by yourself in your own head a lot more when you're writing a book and is i, I kind of wondered is that something which now you've had a lot of experience of both that you prefer the kind of solitary um you're your own boss or do you quite like checking in the people having that more collaborative feel when it comes to scripts? I think I find uh, script writing uh, easier in that sense in that it is um, so collaborative uh, that there's kind of, you kind of understand the parameters of it. Um, I've this Just this week I've been working on uh, a couple of notes that we've had on a a script commission and so kind of sitting down to do that and working on those edits is something I really enjoy because it's like this mechanical kind of you know you, you know what I know the process I know what to do I know how to do a dialogue pass and it's kind of something that I, I find that I really am able to concentrate fully on um, whereas I think it's so much more difficult in that sort of solitary intense space of kind of writing a chapter, say, of a novel where you you just you're trying to keep going and you just know there are so many possibilities mm-hmm. to it yeah. to go off in any single direction. And I find that much more difficult now that I've I've come back to it. I I'd forgotten, I think, how intense writing a book is and how much you live in your own head and how difficult it is to like just have a normal conversation with a person afterwards when you've been doing this for a couple of hours. Whereas I think with screenwriting, I just shut the laptop and that work is done, that block of work is done, and then I move on. Um, so, yeah, they do take up a sort of totally different um, mechanism, I think, in the brain. Um, well, well, why don't we... Um, I quite was interested to learn about your um, writing style um, it, it, itself. You know, are you a planner? Do you sit down and plan stuff? Or do you tend to go in and just pants it and see where a story takes you? Where do you start with? Yeah, with uh, novel writing, I am a pretty sort of organic kind of writer that I will maybe have a general idea of the kind of chapter I'm going to be writing that day. Mm-hmm. But I do allow myself the freedom to go off in different directions. Um, and I've never really planned out exactly what happens in a chapter even if you know if there's a say there's a voice I do a lot of kind of multiple narration so I know right I'm going to that character's voice today and I get in the mindset and I kind of allow me to to the writing to take me where it will will. yeah when it comes to screenwriting I guess again because of that collaborative um kind of structure that you have that you've you're not really, they don't really trust you to sit down <laughs> and write the pilot episode unless they have seen every single beat 
that you are planning, uh, you know, to put on the page, every single action structure, kind of even more or less an idea of what the characters are going to be saying in every scene. And so it's much harder to divert from that once you get going because you think, well, no, they've signed off on this. Yeah, exactly. If I, if I, you know, introduce like a totally different character in this scene, um, they're not going to be too happy about that. So, and you know, sometimes a producer will kind of let me do that on occasion if if the plan hasn't worked. You know, he'll come back and say, oh, actually, the last ten pages of this weren't quite what we'd hope they'd be on the page. So try something else. But it's it's pretty you know, prescriptive in a way for those first couple of drafts until yeah. you, you you are able to kind of go off in a different direction. And and is is having that kind of, you know, here's here's the linear route you have to follow when you're writing this this script. I guess I guess there's something quite nice about that in the sense that you're never worried about coming up with an idea for where it can go next. But then there's also is a flip side that takes away the kind of spontaneity or the excitement of discovering something new or, or or a new idea sparking of something where you can't really play with it yeah so in some ways it's that's maybe why i find the screenwriting easier in some ways because i get focused on the right there's the plan i'm starting to write the episode um and i know exactly where i'm going so it, it helps you plan your week as well you know i a lot of the s4c dramas i write are in four parts with the commercial break so i'll do like part one to four in the first four days of the week. And then I'll, the fifth day I'm looking over the whole episode. Um, so there's that particular structure to it. But there are moments, I think, where I'm kind of, there's something that maybe me and the producer have kind of argued about. This is, oh, should we do this? Should we do that? And then I've compromised on something. And when I'm mm-hmm. writing it, I'm like, I, I told him this wasn't going to work. I'm trying <laughs> to make it work and it doesn't work. And so sometimes you have to kind of, yeah, go down that route. And it's not until you're kind of right in the brains of the of the episode, like in the mechanics of it. It's like opening up the car bonnet and you're in the brain, you know, you're in the engine. You kind of like see this is not thing. Parts are not fitting together. Mm-hmm. It may have looked great as this scene by scene. But actually, when you start making the characters speak to each other in this scene it just doesn't doesn't work so yeah. that's why I'm really always happy when they say go to script because it's like finally we get to see if any of this stuff works because I think there are probably people who are really good at outlines and treatments who probably maybe are not so great at script and I'm sort of the opposite I hate outlines and treatments I really yeah. hate them because I think it's so easy for someone to kind of you know pick up on things that maybe don't work or they'll always have like a an issue with the ending and I'm always frustrated about that I always want to say yeah but this is not going to be the ending this is just the ending I have to show to you that it is going to be so you let me do something else but it's it, it you know yeah it's it's so hard having to lay out all your plans when you know it's going to be pulled apart in a way okay so what happens if you if you you know you sign off on the on the plan on the script and then you write the script and you cannot get a scene to work or for whatever reason it's just not working it's not the characters aren't feeling right the scene's not not kind of gelling or whatever what do you do at that point can you go back and say look i've tried writing the scene as we agreed it's not working can i try something else or do you have to stick with what they've kind of said yeah i think there's always a you know a discussion to be had with, with the producer um, about that and I think that usually they can see that the problems have been you know caused by this kind of plan that the signing off on the plan maybe too soon not thinking mm-hmm. how it will work um, I'm lucky in that you know the producer I work with we have a sort of a close working relationship we've been working together on you know most projects over about okay. seven eight years um, and you know there's, there's some trust you, there I suppose yeah there, there is the trust there that okay that didn't work you know that like I was saying, you know, we'll say the part four needs to be written again, but but it does it doesn't always mean that he will want me to do an exact plan of what I'm doing yeah. for 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 four, you know, part four, um, because uh, he just thinks, well, okay, maybe let's just see what happens, and usually I find a way through it, but it's you know it, it is really difficult. I think with screenwriting, especially like 
all the various people and companies that I work with, they all have their own style of giving feedback and giving notes. And you have to kind of navigate, you know, when when to push back. When are you right? When are they right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier, I think, with editors because you have like one editorial voice usually guiding you through your novel. And you, you know, if you have that good relationship with the editor, then then that enriches what you're doing all the time. And it's not listening to a, a million other voices saying, you know, this is not quite right. Because, mm -hmm. again, that's what happens with the scripts is that, you know, the producer and I were really happy, say, we've got six scripts that we do a read through. And then some of the actors will start having an issue with some of their lines yeah. or some of the scenes. Then the director will be not sure about how this is going to be shot or you know, what the emotion is. And so usually like going back from the read through with your pile of scripts is when you start to really question what you're doing and oh, how can I work through all these different people's sort of opinions and queries and usually yeah. find like you usually find a through line um, and it usually makes the scripts better. But for like the two hours afterwards, you're just kind of feeling despondent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with a, uh... You know, with books, I suppose the the difference is that, like you say, you've got the editor, but the editor is generally one person. Uh, it might be two or whatever, but you know, that that is suge making suggestions normally to mm. you. But ultimately, it's your story. Whereas with films, with TV, and things like that, there are so many other interests in it that mm. that can cause. Um, the thing to have to be changed even if it's not how you originally envisaged it I suppose mm. yeah you've you've put your finger on it there because that's what editors um always say is that it's your story mm. you know I'm here to support you to guide you through to make suggestions but ultimately this is your story to tell the, in the way that you want when it comes to producers and directors no this is not your story <laughs> This is, you know, you are the workhorse and you will try and make it fit whatever production we are creating here. Um, so they are quite, you know, can be quite ruthless. Um, and there's a lot of kind of different needs, as you mentioned, to be, to be kind of met. Um, different concerns about budget, etc. Um, sometimes just when I go back to fiction, it's like, oh, this is so liberating, not worrying about uh, what can I can I afford you know, yeah. this vehicle and this scene. Of course I can. It's a novel. No one's have another helicopter explosion. <laughs> yeah. I can just have do as many here. helicopters as you like. <laughs> throw people off buildings. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Uh, and that's, yeah, what you always have to kind of rein in um, with your screenwriting. And I've become particularly adept at this because I suppose the budgets are usually lower than the bigger broadcasters as well. And so when I started writing, you know, uh, pilot episodes for Brigger broadcasters, they were like, you know, you're allowed to kind of, you know, go go out, go out of the room. Here. <laughs> you know, they're allowed to be outside and they can be in the car talking. And and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm starting to kind of broaden my range of, of different things that I can do. Stunts, you know, I added a car chase to a script that didn't actually need it at all. Just. <laughs> for the novelty of for having a yeah. yeah, just because you could yeah it's funny it's, 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 it's these things i suppose you don't ever think about a writer having to have concerns about is can i afford to make what i'm writing you know it's but it's it's one of these yeah. things as when you write as you see a script it's a hundred things to actually have in your have in your head and and um, when you adapted your own novel so the library suicides was your book and you adapt that into a, into a script you know what what was that like that must have been a very different process writing that script yeah, it was because, you know, I think a lot of people think that really novelists shouldn't adapt their own novels. Um, I've heard it said that it's like taking out your own appendix, <laughs> you know, i.e. you're not actually trained to do it and you probably die in the process. Um, and it was pretty painful, if I'm being honest, because I... Okay realized very quickly that because of the budget that we had so it was a micro budget film scheme so um we had a pot of money to make this thing and um the library suicides uh happens during one day in the library um and with a with a cast of characters that's quite large there's a sort of group of hostages and there are people milling around the library and we realized very quickly that we we're going to have to boil the story down to just the four main players so the twins the library porter and um Abe and the biographer and in order to that for that to be realistic it had to be a night shift so 
you know, the whole sort of mood of the film completely changed. Um, and also it, it had to become less of a dystopian uh, narrative and more of a, like a psychological thriller um, because you couldn't really create that dystopia with just the four characters running around the library. It had mm-hmm. to be a sort of different sort of playing out of the of the mysteries and the thriller elements. So there were loads and loads of changes. Um, and I think I did about 50 scripts or something, oh, and it, wow. you know, and we had lots of different partners on it. So lots of different financiers. Um, and we had, I think it was the 50th draft, I think. And we had this meeting with, with all the, you know, funders on the opposite side of the table. And they just went, oh, I think I think we quite like the first draft. <laughs> you know, okay, that's fine. Absolutely fine. I'll just undo the last sort of 49 drafts. And um, yeah, I remember sitting with the director having a drink afterwards. And we were just looking at the first draft going, oh, this is all right, actually. It's pretty good. <laughs> but we'd obviously tied ourselves in knots trying to answer all the different notes from all the funders. And yeah. we'd sort of gone a little bit mad with it, I think. Um and it ended up, you know, it ended up doing really well. It, you know, it it sort of travelled internationally and uh, won a couple of awards of performance and directing. And it was, um, we're really proud of what we made. But again, it was sort of with that micro budget in mind, we tried to make it look as good as it could within that budget, which meant mm-hmm. making all these uh, story choices. Uh, so I think people who'd read the original book or came to see the film, their minds were a bit blown by, wow, this is not, this is not yeah. the book I write at all. And so when it then I was able to write the English language version of it, of the novel, um, you know, regaining all the things that I'd lost in a way, and also sneakily took a few scenes from the film that were not in the original book. So well, I was gonna ask that. Yeah, yeah, you did that, yeah. Yeah, there were you know, that's that's one way I was able to kind of quite satisfyingly kind of bring back things like the scenes that they cut from the film, which I was really frustrated about. There was a scene that we had a porter walking through the loft of the library, looking at all the portrait busts of sort of Welsh cultural figures and kind of talking to them. And he was a little bit stoned and it, and it just, it happened at a point in the film where it was slowing the film down a little bit. And so it was cut and, you know, with glee, I just kind of rewrote it into, into the book and it was, it was never there originally in the Welsh original. So, I had fun doing things like that because I could take, I guess, from both versions and create, you know, a third version that was slightly different. Yeah, that 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 is interesting. That it's a that the the English version of the book then is is, you know, because when when you think of a, you know, when I read a, I don't know, um, I'm thinking of um, who's the Carlos Ruiz phone. Oh uh, yeah, Shadow mm-hmm. of the Wind. Shadow of the Wind. Yeah, Shadow yeah. of the Wind. That was it. Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I kind of assume that obviously with some skill, it's just been translated from Spanish into English, and I'm reading the same book. But I, I suppose it is possible, as in, as with yours, that it's a, you know, the story itself has perhaps changed as for the language as well. Yeah, I think that also, you know, I had changed as a writer in the time. You know, from from the two thousand and nine mm-hmm. publication to you know bringing it out in two thousand twenty three, mm-hmm. and I think that also working with Hodder and Stoughton, um, who wanted more of a kind of like a crime thriller, um, c- certain things had to to change mm-hmm. in order for it to kind of be the book that they wanted it to be, and also what I wanted it to be, just this kind of new thing, so that even the readers of the Welsh original still felt like they were getting something different. Yeah. And I guess the way I write about Wales, and I call it just the small country in, in this book, and England's the neighbouring country, you know, I write about um, Wales and Welsh culture differently in English, and it's, you know, you can't make the assumption that they know anything about Wales. And so there is a, you do find that it's it does transform into something new with a new kind of, there's slightly new denouement as well in the English language version that was not then the original because it's, it's a different kind of impact on the audience. Um, and so there is a twist there that maybe the Welsh readers of the original would, would not have seen coming. Um, so, yeah, I've, ha- I've had fun with it. It's, it's something I tend to do anyway when I adapt my own work from Welsh into English because I think that I basically just get bored of my own story. <laughs> um, there was another novel that I wrote uh, 
that came out in 2008, 20,000 Saints, that was based on a book set on an island that I'd written two years previously in Welsh. But I just started writing it and just decided to kind of kill off characters I'd gotten bored <laughs> of and it, and it sort of evolved into this different thing and it became double the size and and it was kind of an adventure, I guess. But also there's a sense of cheating some English language readers from ever really knowing what exactly I did in the Welsh original. So maybe one day I should let someone else do the translating. Well, I was going to ask you that because like you've, you know, a lot of people would would struggle to do that, I think, because you're essentially, you know, you're basically going to kill off your own book, your creation, your characters, etc. Um, and, and people wouldn't want to, we'd find it hard to take a book and then put it into a two-hour film knowing they'd have to cut a whole bunch of it out. But you seem to quite enjoy the the fun part of just mixing things up again. Yeah, I think I've sort of uh, decided that I it's sort of maybe part of my process is to kind of, adapt and change you know and to play around with stories that I've created rather than remaining completely faithful to them um I think there's that sense of I can't really offend myself by doing <laughs> these things and so yeah. it's you know that, that kind of element there's a thrill and excitement in yeah. in changing things and you know I had to get my head around the fact okay the the film was not going to be the same as the book but it had this sort of different feel a different edge it became you know became a sort of a more eccentric in some ways and but more thrilling in others and it was just it it kept you know my interest in the writing the whole process because I was not feeling like I'm just stuck with this idea that I I've got to write over and over again I think that's why the three versions are pretty different because I'm kind of I'm I'm trying to find out what I didn't do that the previous in the previous version what what tricks did i miss and how can i try and you know reinvent them yeah. Uh-huh. yeah and and the library series side as well explores it, you know it, it, you've said it's it's uh well especially in the english version it's almost a, a sort of thriller but it explores the sense of the loss of national resources and identity and things like that i mean are, are themes like that um stuff that you want to explore especially perhaps in the english version where you're trying to you know t- talk about wales and tell people about about wales as well is that something that you would try and fit into your stories definitely i think that you know i can't really help myself really from from doing that because i feel that it's quite important to give people this kind of glimpse into you know a, a minoritized culture and what it is to 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 feel invisible or to feel on the periphery of things and and hopefully to do that in a way that is fun and quirky and different and is not the story that people are expecting and I think you know part of the fun of doing that kind of thing of setting a thriller in a library in a national library is kind of it's the last place on earth anyone would expect anything exciting to happen Mm -hmm. um and I'm I'm just so aware of like not reinforcing any kind of Welsh stereotypes, you know, of um, kind of run down kind of rural villages that were kind of all living in sort of huts and the you know in the forest or something. I think some crime dramas, especially the ones that try to tap in this sort of Scandi noir yeah. success. I think the Welsh noir dramas sometimes try to go for those stereotypes because it's, it's sort of something comfortable or recognizable for the audience. Oh, that's what, you know, that's what Welsh identity is, you know, and, and, and that's what I'm trying to do always with my work is to show a completely different side of it or to be a little bit left field in the way that I present it. And um, all the characters in the library suicides are a little bit offbeat and, you know, they, but they're still, quintessentially welsh in my mind so it's it's always that attempt to kind of show show difference and show otherness in hopefully entertaining ways mm-hmm. and and is are, are you still enjoying sort of doing both novels and screenplays is it something that you would like to do going forward doing both of them yes definitely i mean i'm probably these days primarily a screenwriter and that takes up you know a lot of the working week Mm. Um, but having 
had this uh, novel published uh, with Hodder. I've, it's a two book deal. So there's another novel that I'm working on at the moment. I'm nervously awaiting my editor's notes on the first draft. And what's really exciting about this and also really terrifying to me is um, the fact that it's a completely original concept that is not a reversioning or reimagining of anything else that I've ever done before. Mm. It's just an English language novel that is original. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's going to be interesting, I think, in the way it kind of, what the editorial process will be on it, because it's it's far more kind of, it's not quite there yet. It's I feel like with the library suicides, when I was kind of working on that reimagining, I had always had that structure in mind anyway. And so it was, I knew it was more or less ready, you know, and it just needed a few extra things, but it was more or less ready. With this, I feel like, oh, this needs a, a lot of work before it's it's quite ready and I'm I'm ready to apply myself but I'm also a bit daunted by the work that's <laughs> ahead of me because I think that's the the main work comes after I think you know you submitted that first draft um it's great it's an achievement getting it down and I'm pleased that it exists and that the editor's seen all of it but I just know that actually the main bulk of the work is actually yet mm-hmm. And and what is the what is your kind of routine? I suppose you know. Do you do you tend to treat like a nine to five job and just write, mm. even if the kind of the vibe isn't there, you push through and just get words and the words on the page type thing. Uh, I these days just work around my kids basically. So <laughs> once I get the the youngest off to school, I'm back at my desk by about kind of you know ten to nine. Uh, I have a coffee black coffee to like set my mind alight because it just like does does crazy things to to my brain and then I can work between nine and eleven really efficiently so if I've got you know something that I'm working on that really needs my attention I'll try and save that time for that job and if there are any anybody wants a zoom or a meeting it's better to have it later on in the day um then I usually take a sort of break over lunch maybe go for a swim I've been uh, reading Haruki Murakami's uh, book, Novelist as Vocation, mm-hmm. um, where he says, to be a novelist, you have to be fit. And so I had never <laughs> realised this. <laughs> now I'm trying to get fit because Murakami now you can said, finally be a novelist. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and then I'll work probably after lunch there, one till three till, uh, yeah, half past three till the kids come home. Then usually it's kind of, you know, it's all sorts of chaos of taking them to different places and, uh, I'm not I'm not good in the evenings. I can't my brain doesn't really want me to work in the evenings or I won't I won't sleep well. So tend to, you know, watch TV or read in the evenings and then kind of start getting the next day. That doesn't sound like I'm doing many hours, I know. <laughs> but I am. I'm applying solid, solid myself. Two hours in the start there. <laughs> well my my youngest is away at a camp this week. So uh, you know, my oldest leaves about quarter past eight. So I'm thinking, oh I can start working tomorrow at twenty past eight. <laughs> you know, imagine the work I'll get done in that's forty minutes before nine o'clock. So maybe I'll find that that's a that's a revelation. Well we'll see. <laughs> Uh, and so, so you you've got this uh, the second book, the 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 first draft in with the editor. What else are you working on? What's next in the pipeline? I'm working on um, several script commissions uh, for various broadcasters and companies. Um, most of them, uh, apart from one, actually, are all adaptations of crime novels, other people's crime right. novels. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. So. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting process because I'm, you know, in charge of the adaptation. I'm very wary of, you know, my own processes of, you know, how I did it with my own novels. And I'm not taking those kind of liberties with other people's work. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens um, with those commissions. Again, it's one of those where there's no guarantees that they will get made. Yeah. Um, also working on a, a new spec script because I haven't written one for a while. So that's that's in the pipeline as well. Um, and potentially we'll see. I, I Maybe we'll have another um, series with S4C. Um, there's my series that I'm getting at the museum. The second series went out at the start. Oh, at the end of, yeah, start of this year. So um, just waiting to hear on a third series. So that's in very early development stages. But uh, but again, it might not happen. But there's still plenty of uh, plenty of things to crack on with because even if they don't 
get seen it's still, got to write. still in the yeah, process exactly. of like yeah. putting putting all the work into them um yeah how, how do you how do you do that how do you juggle multiple writing projects at the same time because you know if uh, mm-hmm. if you go into uh, the world of a so an author who is only an author of novels they'll be very often they'll be very like focused on that one story they want the voice for that story and that's all they'll concentrate on but as a screenwriter obviously you're jumping between all sorts of different projects yeah that's um yeah, that it, it it's it is tricky. I think this is where the, the kind of the clash happens between the novel writing and the screenwriting, and and I certainly felt this um, last year. It was really really difficult to juggle the fact that I had these really intense edits to do on the library suicides, and I was enjoying working on them, but I could not give it all my time because I also had deadlines for the scripts. And so that's when I find it really tricky because you're going from one intense sort of solitary mindset into this other very, very structured, collaborative mindset. And I don't recommend anybody who works on a novel and screenplays at the same time. It's just like it's maddening. It was a really, really tough year, Mm -hmm. Um, but somehow it got done. Um, This year, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to structure it in a slightly different way. I I don't find it that difficult to jump between screenwriting projects because again of the, just their nature that like I was talking about like the shape of them and the parameters like one day maybe I'm working on a couple of scenes on a script and the next day I'm working on a treatment for another project so it doesn't feel like I'm using the same parts of my brain yeah. but ideally you know ideally you'd have say these last two weeks actually I've been doing edits on uh episode one episode two um of this crime thriller and i've tried to just concentrate on that and nothing else um you know the the odd thing will will come in and you'll remember that you promised to judge a writing competition for a festival (laughs) and then it's like oh right i'm gonna have to try and find the right time of the day to do that that is a different part of the brain again but um but yeah it is it is a massive juggle. Ideally, you know, I'd have a whole year to write a book and everyone would leave me alone. But it's in the screenwriting world, it feels like you've got to keep going and you've got to keep popping up yeah. and you've got to keep trying for jobs and you've got to, you know, keep talking to people. Um, that's that's a, a, a very familiar phrase, I think, in the uh, screenwriting world of like, let's keep talking. So you're just endlessly <laughs> talking to people about potential things that you could be doing. Um, but like yeah, shark, you always have to be swimming or die yeah yeah exactly it's it's so hard to take time out of one thing or the other and this is what I did do you know the last sort of seven or eight years I took completely you basically just time out of novel writing completely and just to the point where I was just doubting if I ever had been a novelist or would I ever be one again and so getting the library suicides published was just felt like a moment where I could just tell myself okay you can do it it's it's tricky, but it's not impossible. What was the last book that you read? The last book I read was The Pharmacist by Rochelle Atala, uh, who I met in Aberdeen in the Crime Writing Festival, mm-hmm. about a pharmacist in a... Um, sort of strange dystopian world where they're all living underground um, in a bunker um, and the pharmacist has kind of great power over everybody there and yeah really enjoyed it excellent nice. um, what about the last film that you watched oh the last film can I, can I do TV instead because <laughs> yeah. the, the last film I watched was probably something with my 10 year old daughter like <laughs> or something um, but uh the last TV series, I've just, well, I've just finished, actually, because I just want to talk about this. I've just finished Search Party, okay. um, the American series. Oh, on yeah. On, is that on Apple, is it? Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know where it came out originally, but it's on iPlayer now. I don't know right, if okay. you've seen this, but it's a really, really quirky show about a, a group of young people who are just kind of looking for this missing girl that they don't really know very well and they don't really care about that much, which leads them into this sort of, to this really dark place where things happen and it just sort of snowballs and it 
becomes complete surreal and crazy by the end. Oh, cool. There's okay. five series of this. Oh, and I've been, I've I've been completely before. addicted to it. So I've been on this massive journey with this cast of characters. And I just finished the last episode last night and I'm feeling a little bit bereft because <laughs> I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to let them go. But oh, yeah, it's it. it's a really quirky, different crime series with a, with a real edge. And it's fun as well, which is which is always something that appeals to me. Excellent. Nice. Um, well, th- that was the main stuff. And then the very, very last thing we do is a super quick fire, either or. And I always say there's no right answer here, perhaps apart from one. But we'll start off with um, novels or screenplays. Novels. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. Night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? No music when I'm writing. And the last one, real book or ebook? Real book. Ah, <laughs> nobody ever, nobody ever picks ebook. What about what about audio book or ebook? Oh, ooh, ebook rather than audio. Ah, I should have asked audio book. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that out. We'll, 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 we'll put it back. Yeah, edit that in. <laughs> Well, thanks very much to Fleer for coming on there. I thought that was a really interesting chat. And, you know, talking to her about adapting her own work and in that adaptation sort of changing the story in a Mm -hmm. way just to keep it interesting for herself apart from anything else. Yeah, no, it's that it's it's kind of that rare chance you get to fix things which maybe yeah. bugged you about your book when it was already out. So yeah, it's a and 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 I suppose you know I've read a lot of translated books and stuff, and you always wonder is this the right? Is this the same tone as the original book, or is the same intention, or is the sentence exact same meaning and things like that? I'm sure there was a was it Dracula. I think it was Dracula that for years was in Iceland or somewhere like that. They had done a translation and it was a completely different book. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the <laughs> translator had just decided to go off in a completely different path. Just write his own book? Yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> I just call it call it Dracula. I don't, I don't know if it was Dracula, but I have a feeling it was. Or maybe it was, there's definitely also been a Russian version of Lord of the Rings that was quite different as well, I think, as well. Oh, so, yeah, it, it must happen. There must be a, a, you know, probably quite an interesting documentary or something to look at these these books that have suffered very, very different fates across, yeah. across the I, world. Yeah, I, I often wonder then who, but who, who checks? Like, is there like, yeah, is there someone exactly. checking over to make sure, or do they just trust I mean, the translator? Yeah, how do you know? It's like <laughs> that guy who was doing the, who's the guy I was thinking of as the guy doing the sign language? You know, like, he was making it up. Yeah, and he was exactly. he was stood next to the famous Mandela, etc. <laughs> through the years, I'm sure, on stage just doing random signs in the air, and no, and for years ago with it because nobody, nobody picked, nobody checked, no, no, yeah, nobody said anything, no, nobody knew who was there. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it, it, it's the subject of. It reminds me of that film uh, with Richard E. Grant and um, it, about the. The hopes will are... you ever forgive me? Yeah, oh, no. yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, the yeah. forged. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where you, uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for? It's the letters. Remember. It's forged yeah, letters forged from letters. famous authors. And yeah, stuff. that was yeah. It. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people get yeah, away with these people things just trust for a it. And if you time. exactly because yeah. people, if you get a reputation for it, if you get known for it, you just do it. And yeah, yep. it's not a bad idea. We should do that. I wonder if anyone. <laughs> well, no one knows what Dickens' signature you, is, do you, they? You're going to become a translator for foreign books. <laughs> yeah, just into English. Just write both. Um. No, but uh, thanks very much to Fleer for coming on there. Uh, Library Suicides is out now and um, look forward to seeing more of her work on screen as well and hopefully um, across a wider audience as well. That would be great. Um, And next week we have another writer that crosses many genres as well. Yeah, Uh, um, Alistair, Alistair Beckett King is our guest next week who is a stand-up comedian a uh, very funny stand-up comic who's also written video game scripts and he has his first child's book, children's book out uh, called Montgomery Bon Bon Murder at the Museum, which is just out in February this year. Uh, and it's a really fun chat we have with him. He's, he's a really good laugh. 
Yeah, no, it's it's funny and really interesting as well, just hearing his process for these different types of things. Um, mm-hmm. He is a huge, I think, uh, on the video game side, he's a very, very big um, sort of point-and-click adventure game yes. uh, aficionado. So we have a bit of a chat about that as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's a great chat, so please do tune in for that one. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous episodes, please do take the time to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as that helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch, you could always drop us an email in the email machine, which is at, uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk, or you can get us across multitudes of social media networks by searching for at UK page one on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky, and, and on Mastodon and Facebook. Damn it! And on Mastodon, you can go to writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod, and on YouTube, just type in. Page one, one podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll find us there somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. No, um, yeah, I have to say, I'm not enjoying having to manage 20. No, I know. I feel there really, do you know there should I'm be a sure program I can do for you? Doing yeah. It. yeah, there should be one. Pro- I think there are programs. There probably must be. It, but you just have to pay them a lot. Pay for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're cheapskates, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we will be back next week. See you later. Can I just say that's a really dreadful sign off? I'm gonna, I'm gonna next week. I'm gonna have a different sign off because I feel that's just stilted <laughs> and crap. Anyway, bye, bye. <laughs>